You're tuning in to the Wild, Weird, and Sometimes Normal podcast. If you have a story or a guest recommendation that you think others need to hear, email me at wildweirdandsometimesnormal at gmail.com. Let's get this started. Alex and Brett, kick it! On this episode, I'm joined by Mike and Dave from the band Over the Bridge. Over the Bridge blends rock and reggae, and their debut album was number one on iTunes when it was released. I caught these guys in Beach Haven, New Jersey, opening for Bradley Knowles, Sons Band, Jacob's Castle, and the Long Beach Dub All-Stars. Awesome show all around. I hit the fellows up on Instagram, and Mike was gracious enough to jump on the podcast. Unfortunately, our connection was bad, and I lost him after about 10 minutes. That worked out, though, because when we recorded again, Dave was able to jump on for a bit. It was really cool to talk to these guys about coming up through the scene, meeting Opie from the dubs, and doing the Northeast part of their tour. Mike and Dave gave insight to their recording process and how excited they are for the next album. You need to check these guys out. Their music is really good. Hit them up and let them know you heard them on Wild and Weird. Enjoy the show. Are you looking for CBD for your pet? My friends at Pure Pet Wellness have what you need. They use the highest quality ingredients. While other companies may use synthetic oils in their CBD, Pure Pet Wellness uses organic ingredients, organically grown hemp, organic coconut oil, organic shea butter, organic beeswax, and that's just to name a few. A family-owned and operated company that also offers fast shipping. Go to purepetwellness.com for all your pet's CBD needs and use the discount code WILD and WEIRD at checkout. That's WILD. A-N-D, weird. Treat your animal right. Go to purepetwellness.com. Are you looking to buy a home in New Jersey? Escape the city and move to the suburbs? Finally purchase a vacation home on the lake or down the shore? Maybe you're one of the lucky ones who are retiring and moving out of state. If so, let me help you. Keller Williams and the Real Estate Professional Group have what you need to make your goals come true. Reach out and have a conversation with someone who will put you first. Contact Brian McCoach at 856-321-1212 or email brianmccoach at kw.com. Welcome to another episode of Wild, Weird, and Sometimes Normal. I'm your host, Brian. And my guest today is the band Over the Bridge, and I have their lead singer, Mike, on here. Welcome, Mike. Hey, what's going on, Brian? Thanks for having me. Hey, man, I really appreciate you coming on. Of course. So a couple of weeks ago, you guys were playing your opening for the Long Beach Dub All-Stars, and I happened to yeah. catch your show. And man, let me just tell you, you guys rock, man. It was a lot, a lot of fun. Thank you. Thank you. Was, that was Ocean Mist, correct? That was uh, Bert and Betty's in Beach Haven. Bird and Betty's New, New Jersey, right? Yeah, that was the first tour stop of ours. Man, what a what an awesome experience to be on the run with them. Um, yeah, how that how that happened? That first show. Uh, so years ago, our band Over the Bridge got hired to do a a couple shows as like the backing band, kind of like a Saturday Night Live. Now they have like the house band. We kind of got hired to be a house band for a TV pilot sort of thing with the lead singer of Long Beach Dub All-Stars, Opie. He was actually doing tattoos 
there was a comedian, Paul Veerzy from Comedy Central, and Sam James, he's actually out of Worcester, Massachusetts, from The Voice performing. And uh, they they hired us to be the, the band, and we actually got tattooed by um, Opie, who's the man behind the Sublime Sun, the, the iconic 40 Ounce of Freedom Sun. We did a, a couple of shows with them there, and we met them probably seven years ago, and we just kind of stayed in contact. And then uh, last year, we released our debut album. It was number one on the iTunes reggae charts for the whole weekend that we released it. And Opie did our cover art. So we kind of stayed in touch, both as friends and professionally on socials and stuff. And this year, they started to hit the road. Long Beach, it's actually been a while since Long Beach had the road probably like four or five years. And he contacted us and asked if we'd like to open on the northeast leg of their tour. And then we just kind of put the pieces together. I mean, it, was a lo- it was a long time in the making, but it, it kind of like meant to be sort of thing. We were really just happy to be there. New Jersey was the first stop. Uh, and everybody had long drives. They flew in from California. We drove like six hours. So it was tough like getting going that day. But it was we had so excited and like kind of nervous to have the first show. So it was awesome to hear that you enjoyed it because we were all kind of like nervous and sweating that first one. You'd have no idea it was the first show. You guys were up there like you've been doing it for months, like it was the back end of the tour. It it was really yeah, cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank yeah. you so much. Yeah, we're not going to make it this was, a whole. Uh, it was experience for us. Oh yeah, I'm go sure. ahead. Sorry, I was just we're not going to make this a whole Opie podcast. But he yeah, yeah. seems like if you're friends with him, he's a really nice guy to be friends with. And if you don't know him, he may kill you. I was the man. Is, is that is that pretty accurate? Yeah. <laughs> um, that's probably pretty accurate. When we first met him those years ago. He like kind of was intimidating for sure. We like tried to just kind of stay out of his way. But once you got to know him, he's like the coolest, goofiest, like down to earth, like family man. Like, but he's can definitely be like off putting, just like with all the tattoos and stuff. It's just like at first, like impression. It's like, well, you probably don't want to piss this guy off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he seems like if you're in a circle, he's gonna take care of you. And uh, if if not, you That's just go funny. fuck off. Yeah. yeah. That's great. So you guys <laughs> yeah, drove down. You guys are, it. you guys are an hour north of Boston. That's where your home base is. Yes. So we're from Gloucester, Massachusetts. Uh, I don't know if you ever heard of that. So Gloucester fisherman. But yeah, we had about a six, six and a half hour drive to um, Beach Haven. We had never been there before. We had played us uh, in Seaside Heights a couple of times. The Jersey Shore Music Festival. It's like a local festival they do early in the season probably right around the same time actually i think it was the four-year anniversary to the day that we had been uh, our first time playing in new jersey uh was the bird and batty show so that was kind of cool like full circle again it was our first real ticketed show on our first real tour really so we were just like pumped to be there and it's cool to have it be on the anniversary of the first time we kind of like bootstrapped it and went down there and played a random bar before so it was cool so let's go over the random bar tour you guys just get into like an yeah. suv or a van and load your stuff up and you're just hitting yeah, man. different so small joints our first couple tours were exactly that we packed up my jeep grand cherokee and games rav4 all the way up to the the ceilings with gear and like three or four dudes in each car, like just crammed in there like clowns. And we just drove kind of wherever we could. And uh, a lot of the shows ended up not even pulling through. So we just kind of like set up shop and bust or like we, we pick up random gigs that like we played at a dog park, I think one time. It's just like kind of anywhere they would let us. 
That's awesome. So I've been to a lot of shows over the years and everything. And typically the very first band that goes on, the venue is trying to get their sound right for the main opener. And yep. you go to like a warp tour, or, you know, the Lollapalooza used to come around. Right. Those early bands, the their sound was just shit. You guys were so clear yeah. and had such a great stage presence on there. And also the, you had people coming around to, uh, you know, people within your crew, I guess, like doing videos and pictures. Yeah. I've never seen yeah. such a production. I was like, are these guys the headliners? There's a lot going on in here. That's awesome, man. It's awesome that I noticed that. Not a lot of people notice like how much actually goes into putting on a show and the touring and stuff. And it just seemed like such a good time. And like, it, don't get me wrong. We absolutely love it. But hats off to the guys who do this, you know, 30, 40 days on end like, all summer. We did it for four days and it was months of planning to go into it. And we we kind of, we run a tight ship, but like all the people on our team are our friends. And we've been kind of doing this since, you know, for years, since we first started playing together, jamming. Our friends would come to gigs at our local bars in our hometown in Gloucester. And like, you know, we'd sell some t-shirts or like, so we kind of just learned as we went and we would go to shows and watch how these bigger bands were operating. And, oh, look at that guy, you know, who's bringing out the guitar, like taking notes on these kind of things. And, and our friends just kind of naturally slid into these positions where like they know what needs to be done. CP, shout out to CP. He's been one of my best friends. Kip as well. You've probably seen both of them running around on the stage, uh, taking the videos and doing the pictures. They set up the merch table for us so that we can like, you know, focus on setting up the stage. They help unload everything. Just having that is incredible. It's so we weren't the headliners, but we still had the same amount of responsibilities as the headliners because we were providing the backline. So we actually had to lug the gear. They were using our drum, our amps, all of our stuff. So we had to get there first and set up our stuff for sound check. So the reason why we sounded so good is because we got there so early because they had to make sure that all of our stuff sounded good because the headliners were using our same gear. Uh, so we kind of lucked out in that aspect that we got a proper sound check first. So that was pretty cool. And then to have our friends, you know, handling the videos and, and just jumping on that stuff. It's a team effort. And we don't have like a label or an agent or a booking agent or a tour manager like, you know, the, the dubs do. And um, we just have us. I'm on the emails. I'm on the texts. And it's just our friends with a camera taking pictures. And my other friends sitting at the merch table watching it while we play the show. And then I run back over. So it's cool to have somebody recognize that, that it kind of slid into, into place. And it was our first tour. So the only thing that I learned was that we can hang. Like, we can do it. And we... Girl, you got me dreaming. But I would rather climb a ladder to you Girl, you got me dreaming 
close my eyes, I see your heart. Those beautiful blues, see the sunrise in the middle. You're everything that I adore. Get me so high, so high. Satisfied, but I need more. No, I can't get enough, baby. Give me some love. I'll fight for me. Due to the magic of editing, you guys aren't going to realize that Mike was jet-setting on a beach and his phone died, and now he was nice enough, gracious enough to come back and pick this up another day. It looked like he might have been in Ibiza. I, I thought I saw DiCaprio behind him. I'm not fully sure, but he, he had a day off and he was enjoying himself, so I appreciate that. I think we're going to come in. You guys just heard a song by Over the Bridge. Mike, what do you think the best song would be to, to put out there for the people? Ooh, our most streamed song is Dreamin'. Um, Dreamin', okay, that, cool. What's that one about? How'd that come about? Uh, it's actually our newest song as well. So all the songs on the album are a little bit older. They were a few years old when we recorded them, and then our album was delayed a little bit, so they're a little bit older still, even since they've been recorded. The one that is most new is Dreamin', which is funny because it's our most streamed one as well. This one was actually made, I had an idea uh, while we were in the studio recording all the other songs. We wrote this entire song based off the idea that I had, and it all just kind of happened in the studio on the spot while we were there. It wasn't on the list of songs to be recorded that day or even on the album, but we were like, oh, what else can we put on it? Kind of shuffling ideas and... It went from idea form to jamming to tracked out record uh, all in the same day. That's awesome, man. Is that typical? I'm, you know, I'm sure it's probably not no, that typical. But yeah. No, yeah. That's, it's pretty rare that the lightning strikes like that. And then you carry it all the way from the idea all the way to finished product all, all in the same day like that. Typically, it takes a little bit longer. You know, we write songs. We're in process right now writing songs. And it's... I think it's that. I think you got Dave coming in. Hey, Dave. Uh, special guest crashing the party. Dave, what's going on, man? I'm Brian. <laughs> How's it going? Guys, sorry I'm late. No, oh, Nate, no problem, up, man. Dave? Just figured I'd crash the party, see what's going on. Why not? Welcome, man. Welcome. We have a million questions that keep popping up that are just going. <laughs> Our conversation from Friday, though, he was bringing up, you know, you guys opening up for Long Beach Dub, uh, Jacob's Law. And uh, you kicked ass. I'm sure you did the whole tour. I saw you at Burton Betty's in Beach Haven. It was awesome. And I was really impressed with 
how polished you guys were for being the first band on. The sound was awesome. Your stage presence was awesome. You had a crew filming, yeah. taking pictures. The, team. The, the merch was up and running. Like your guys were running around, uh, you know, like controlled mania all on the floor again, different angles. Yeah. And I was super impressed that usually the opening band is kind of just happy to be there, but you guys were like, no, like, we want more. So Mike said right. that you'd, you'd spent, you know, whatever years you guys have been going to concerts and, and in the scene of watching the bands above you and learning from that and not, you know, having to say like, oh, let's wait till our turn and we'll do that. Let's do that right away. I think that was the recap, Mike. Is that yeah, fair to say? Yeah, exactly. I, uh, so, I'm sorry. I keep cutting you. No, I just no, want to jump listening. in real quick. So I, I always make these sports analogies. This is like in the NBA. Uh, they always said Michael Jordan added one thing to his game every summer. And then you saw somebody like LeBron who came in and he didn't do that forever. But Michael Jordan told you what to do. And then LeBron right. comes in, they play, they, he goes to the heat, they're playing the, the Mavericks in the finals the first time around, and he can't post up Jason Kidd. And LeBron is 6'10, 6'9, 6'10. Jason Kidd's like probably 6'3, can't post him up. And he's like, oh, I didn't learn that part of my game yet. But dude, you've been in the league for 10 years. You should have learned that part of your game. But you guys, you're not sitting here like, you know, Right. You've seen what people do. You know what to do. And this is amazing, I think. And this is like the great thing of the internet that we're on right now. And, you know, you can see the product that you can put out. And it's not this super, the technology is not as expensive as it used to be. So like you're right. able to get these, you know, your iPhone 10, 14, whatever it is, that camera is so much better than what a professional camera was 10 years ago. And all the stuff yeah. is like, you know, it's a perfect time to, to be doing what you're doing. Right, and that was yeah. my point on that. Yeah, so. Totally. It's and never did, been easier for us. Yeah, you, I mean, you make a good point. It's it's almost, the technology makes it kind of foolish to not go do it. You know what I mean? Right. It makes it a lot more accessible for people like us just starting out. And the fact that we have so many awesome bands that have already paved the way, we can kind of just follow the steps that they've already taken. Like, you know, I, I like that you didn't compare us to LeBron. You compared us to Michael Jordan instead. Like, we you were the Jordan of the guys, yeah. And you guys know, like, no, man. Like, yeah. we're touring, man. This is what we're doing. We're jumping right in. And we've been doing this. this. We've been doing it on a smaller level probably for years. So even back in our first, I guess it wasn't really faking it till we make it because we truly believed in our heads that we were rock stars. Even when we were playing our first bar gigs, we had our friends coming in with like the cameras and the sound and our friends were making clothes and we were selling clothes. And, you know, another friend would be with, uh, with us for the merch table or another friend's like helping change strings on the guitar, you know? So we, we just kind of, watched the other bands and saw how what needed to be done and how the merch displays were done uh the guys dave's actually he spent time working for zach brown as um a backline tech in a tech on the road so he knows like what needs to be done on larger scale tours and stuff like that it's it's just a whole bunch of uh experience over time that like when we finally got to the the real game situation we just kind of already knew what to do Cause we had been doing it on a smaller scale that are just like, all right, now we're doing it for real. We're really actually on tour this time, but we had been doing that same thing with our friends and the cameras and the merch set up and making sure our sound is on point and checking off all those boxes prior way before we've been preparing for this moment, you know? So when they, when we got the chance, we were ready for the game, we were ready to play. 
That's awesome because you know you never know when the door is going to open or right. how long it's going to open or how big. So if you get one shot, man, you got to just jump in there and you know it's make exactly as much noise as you can not. until people pay attention. So yeah, Dave, exactly. how did you get hooked up with Dave? How'd you get hooked up with Zach Brown? How'd that happen? Oh, I uh, so I went to the school to to be a sound guy, a live sound guy, and I was working locally uh, right after college, just as like a little cheap a runner they call it. And uh, he picked. It's a great story from Boston. Yeah, I was actually ended up chilling on this big yacht with him and some of the band and some of the crew because I was I was their driver and uh, Dak actually asked me if I wanted a job right there on the yacht. I was like, "Yo, man, you want to come up? You know, and go be like a rehearsal space tech. You know, be a backline tech. What do you say?" And I was just like, "What?" what? But when you're on the road for somebody else, it's really hard to kind of do it for your own band. So I had to make that difficult choice to be like, you know, I'd rather play than tech. It was. So I, I, I took some valuable, valuable lessons, like Mike said, from that. I made some really good friends and everyone out there was really cool. But I, I kept watching him being like, I want to do that. I don't want to do I this. I can do that. Yeah. I, I do that. But I want to do that. <laughs> so. Right. Now we're here. I think we took a big step in this tour doing doing its opener spot for Lumbee Sub All Stars. Jacob Scott. Thing. It it was like you know we've been knocking on the door and they finally kind of answered the door for us on that one. Yeah. So it felt really cool. And I know you said it's like we weren't just happy to be there. We were prepared, but I think we were also really happy and thankful. Yeah, it was genuine like appreciation for being there. So it made us just like want to work harder and like there was we were kind of like high school seniors that graduated and we we're freshmen on the college team now, you know, so we were like still carrying the gear and like, you know, earning our stripes. So it was like, we were sacrificing, you know, partying after some of the shows so that we could get to the next place and, and make sure that we had the gear there and everything on time and make sure that we could wake up in the next place instead of driving six, five or whatever the drive was straight to the venue the next day. It was a lot of like give and take, but it was the first time that anybody kind of like, I guess I feel like took us serious. We were, it was, it was a level up that was measurable, uh, a tangible level up, I guess. <laughs> oh, I think that's great. I think that's great. So how'd you guys meet? Oh, oh man. We you want, you want to take us on Yeah. We played soccer together when we were like eight years old. <laughs> long time ago yeah my dad was the coach and his mom was the one that brought the orange slices in a big bag <laughs> that's awesome and then we had a good team kinda, we were pretty good yeah we were good we were, we were the ash or we were burgundy it was yeah. ash i think they we had the colors changed every year it might have been both but i remember the one i remember in my head is the ash ash color i remember that and then, I mean, from there, we just grew up in the same town. Um, we had a little bit, a little bit of different friend circles, but we always were like kind of cool with each other until yeah. one day Mike was driving with his, his then girlfriend to go to like a studio session. And I was walking to a little gig, like a little solo gig that I had in the city in downtown Boston, I was like out of nowhere in Boston. Yeah. And then they were like kind of running up and it was a yellow light and I was like kind of trying to cheat and cross and it was like kind of hit me with the car and I was like yo man <laughs> I was like kind of holding my guitar back trying to protect it and take the hit that's funny I do and then like he was like whoa we got to talking until the light turned green and a couple of days later he hit me up to come play a gig with him and and some friends and then it just kind of stemmed from there yeah. I was just, like asked to put together 
a band for a Sunday night at a local bar in Gloucester that my friend had just got the manager spot at. And he was like, you think you can slap together a band? And I'm like, yeah, why not? So I asked a bunch of people to come jam. No rehearsal, no anything. I had no idea what we were doing. We borrowed a PA. Like, literally just didn't know what we were doing at all. It was some of the first gigs that we'd ever, like, really done. And Dave came and opened, opened, really just, like, played before us. And I was like, whoa, he's awesome. And then pretty much was just like, dude, do you want to just play with us next time? <laughs> and and we actually had an epic jam that night all where he came and sang. And, like, it was it's recorded. We actually have, we have a video of it somewhere in the archives of our, like our first jams there. And it was just like totally on the spot, made up, didn't even know what we were saying, just yelling and jumping up and down, just having a blast. And like that energy has been just carved and molded over the years into like something presentable now, but it was, it started there and, and we knew that we had something awesome. And our band members have kind of, Shifted through the years, but Dave and I have been like the pillars of of Over the Bridge, writing all the songs, you know, investing in all of our stuff, uh, taking the time to put these teams together, and you know, making the moves behind the scenes. So it's uh, we're we're like the original members of the band, but now the the rest of the guys, man, we got really lucky with our rhythm section. Uh, they were in a band for like seven years, seven eight years together, and we just kind of stumbled into them as a as a duo uh, our bass and drums austin and jeff we got really lucky with that and it just kind of solidified our core if you will um and then we added the trumpet within the last six months because a lot of our record has horns on it we were doing that in the studio and we felt like you know it was kind of missing something with our live show without that in the live setting so we brought on andy andy's been awesome for the tour Andy was on stage with Brian Wallace, who is the original saxophone player for the 40 Ounce to Freedom album by Sublime. He was touring with Long Beach and Andy taught him the horn lines to our song Dreamin'. And Brian actually came up and played on Dreamin' for two of the songs. One of the nights I was actually wearing the 40 Ounce to Freedom shirt with the album on the back. It was just like, it was one of those moments that we were just like, wow, this is real. We're really here. So awesome. Um, it, yeah. So the band's gone over a bunch of different phases, but this current crew that we have, man, we're just really lucky. We're kind of hitting our stride. It's all kind of clicking. Yeah, it feels really good. Who were some of your influences growing up? Uh, Sublime, well, off the top yeah. of our head. Yeah. Like right on while we're talking about them. I would say Long Beach Dub All Stars were, yeah. I, you know, especially it like does. growing up in high school, like that was like kind of part of the anthem. Yeah, uh, all of those songs. Like Pepper was definitely like Kona Town was on repeat. Yeah. Uh, Kona Town was one of my favorite albums ever. Yeah. Ashes, <laughs> like all those songs. Yeah. yeah. Pepper's uh, a huge influence. Slightly stupid. Slightly um, stupid. Revolution. The whole scene, Revolution, Iration. It was funny because like when we were in high school and like really getting into bands and listening to music, it's like Revolution was like on their first few years. Right. So they were like still a band that's just coming out now, like almost like two decades later, they're like top tier, crazy level. And it's like, it's cool to see that evolution and to know that it takes that long. We're like a seven, eight year band. We're just now starting to hit our stride. And these other bands have been doing it for like 20, you know, 17, 20, 25 years. 
and they're like at the pinnacle of it. So it's cool to see that where we're going, like, and it's possible. And then it does take a long time. It's the, the influences that we have are some of our friends now. Slightly stupid. The keyboardist Paul Walsencroft for them. He played on our whole album. Opie uh, did our cover art for us. He's the guy who did the Sublime Sun. He's the singer of Long Beach Dub All Stars. Uh, and the reason why we got to go on the tour, obviously Jacob Knoll is is Bradley's son. It, it was some, it's just some amazing things now where it's kind of like our idols have become our friends and our peers and people that we look up to and bands that we've listened to in the scene. Some of the best bands in the scene right now are, are our friends, The Elevators. We did shows back when they were called The Cornerstone. Joe Samba produced our album. He's probably one of the, the highest selling artists on the Law record label, which is Pepper's record label. He just He's on the entire 20-year Conantown anniversary tour. It's like, literally, we're so close to the magic now. It's like, all of our influences are guys that we could probably just shoot a message and get an answer to at this point, which is like really awesome. awesome. That's, that's surreal. It's like, you know, you guys listen to them in high school and then you're like, oh no, yeah. I was just talking to them in person the other day. Yeah. I know seriously. invited me on tour. It's cool. Yeah. yeah. Pretty surreal. That's awesome. One of the reasons, so I saw uh, Long Beach, one of the first tours, 99 or 2000, and that's when they had the original Sublime guys, Bud and Eric in there. Yeah. And, you got to see, see that lineup live. I saw that lineup live. Yeah. Wow. So I, I missed Sublime did the 95 warp tour. And the first one I went to was 96. So I missed that. Wow. And uh, so I think that I would have been 13 or 14. And my parents weren't psyched for me to go in, into Philly on my own for that. I was like, come on, like, let's go see this. So I missed that one. And then when I saw the reiteration of it coming out, I was like, well, I'm definitely going to this. And they right. played so Electric Factory or TLA, which are just like this a thousand person little venue and you know they were awesome up there and that was great and now to see you know jacob knoll up there and that was part of what yeah got us go there too because I, I follow sublime on uh, i think i guess on twitter and they they retweeted that long beach is coming out and then jacob's law was opening i was like oh, man, it's like a twofer let's go check this out see what his son's all about and the amount of the pressure that like he has to have you know of like yeah yeah being from sublime and like everybody you know yeah like, Oh, oh, I, I know your dad. Handles- like, I know, like, well, you listened to my dad for twenty years, but you didn't know. Him. So that has to like just be weird. But he seemed like he handled himself. His sound is is really unique. He has a lot of background yeah. effects going on, and kind of like a little spacey, trippy, and good. He handles it too. so well. Honestly, you would never know. He's the nicest, humblest, like coolest kid ever. And even when people are like running up to him and asking him for pictures and like, uh, you know, bringing up his dad, obviously, and all these things, he's like super cool about it. Like. I, for me, I, I don't know if I would be able to handle it as well as he does. And it really comes through. And he's doing his own thing, too, with the music. Like you said, it's really unique. He's, like, taking his own path and really doing his own thing with it. And that's, like, kind of valiant, you know? It would have been, like, easy for him to just kind of try and go that way. But it took, just like to, mimic. for him to be his own person and really take a hold of that, it's, like, admirable. It's re- It really is. And his music is awesome. I'm still singing some of his songs now. The, the, so a lot of his songs we got to hear over the uh, the course of the five shows, and they're like stuck in my head. We listen to them all the time now. Yeah. I thought it was really cool. I was telling my wife when I got back from the show, I was like, "No, like the guy put on a great show." And it would be so easy to like slide into this like Frank Sinatra Jr. type of thing, where like, "Oh, I'm yeah. going to live off of my dad's fame," and then people still yeah. pay to see the novelty and like the songs that they right. know. And I was like, "This right. dude's cutting his own path." And then when he covers yeah. the Sublime stuff, it's not like he sounds it's- like him exactly, but it also is like this familiarness to it. 
but he has his, just Dude, has his own stage presence. You were there at the the Bird and Betty show when he came out for the first time and did the mm-hmm. I think it was Saw Red, just him and the guitar. Yeah, I got goosebumps, man. I had chills. That was the first time. So he did that um, for the shows. So that was part of the performance for the tour. But that was the first time we saw it. This is the first first night of the tour, and I was like, I was beside myself. It was incredible. I thought it was amazing. Yeah, they did great. They also won the award for like the most jacked band that I ever saw. Like I've yeah. never seen like like yeah. it used to be either guys were like like the heroin skinny or like I've been partying Chris, for ten Chris years, so I'm like, Eric, super fat. Yeah. These guys Damn. were just like they get after it. Yeah. yeah. Oh right. my god, like, you, you guys are going good there too. But I thought there was like a bench press competition. <laughs> yeah, we stay. We try to stay fit. That's it's part of it, you know. Look good, play good, feel good. Yeah, yeah. I think taking care of your body is a really important thing, just in life. But especially if you're playing music, because it gives yeah. you the end to bring it every single day on stage. Yeah, seriously, we only were on the road for five days, and we were all we we're like all fit, like and you know healthy. We we're even on the road. We were eating healthy and making sure we got exercises in. Like we woke up a couple of times and went to the hotel gyms together. Even doing that and taking care of ourselves and being in good shape. We were exhausted after only five days. It was like, I don't know how these guys do it for months and months at a time, but if we were out of shape, there would have been no way we could have performed at a high level every night and do it at the same time. There's no way. It's a really important part of it that people don't think of. There's like an added respect factor for the people who go like the opposite direction. They're like, we're just going to tour for two years and yeah. you know, the, like the Motley Crue version of it. And like, my we're going to smoke like- cigarettes, <laughs> drink beers, and throw yeah. TVs out the hotel windows. I don't know how those guys did it every night. Well, I mean, I guess we do, right? Like uh, yeah. artificial energy. And, yeah. But still, at some point you run out of that yeah. or you hit a wall. But those, man, oh, they, yeah. those guys, the friends. I think that's when they collapse on the stage, is when they, they, <laughs> they run out of oxygen. <laughs> You lead into addiction problems and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or another, you know. You needed to get by. Yeah, yeah. Oh no, man! But you see how those guys die young, and it's it's a shame. You know, the whole twenty seven club. You know? Gotta yeah. take care of yourself, man. Yeah. yeah. So even now, I mean, you always hear either like a one hit wonder, or their first album was so good, and like the sophomore slump and something like that. What's your music process, and to put out a quality record, truly, like how much effort goes into that? Dude, a lot. A lot of effort goes into making a song. Our debut album was our first record that we made. So we got to like firsthand see that process of where we take these like rough songs that at the time we thought they were done. We had written them, they were finished. And then you go in and you do pre-production and then the song changes a little bit. And then everybody listens to the pre-production and we take notes and then we're like, Oh, what if we add a B section here? Uh, what if there's, what if we stop here? Then, then it kind of morphs again. And then we go in and, and track it out. And then during tracking, something else changes a little. What if we sing it this way? And then from, from the time when we wrote the song and entered the studio to the time we leave, it's, it's almost completely different. Just like, evolves and that process is so hard to complete i think that's probably the hardest part of making music for any artist is taking it from the idea to the finished product because most projects get like stuck somewhere in the pipeline right they're like half done songs or like you recorded half of it but you never finished the rest of it because you're already on something else and that's the hardest part of, of the process but we're we're in that process right now for our second album and having done that already for our first record, we're definitely more prepared this time around. 
the the way you start writing a song too like you say oh like a lot of times when you're writing you get stuck and you want things to be perfect you want the words to be exactly what you're right. saying everything to kind of be done as you write it but you don't have to write the final draft right first drafts or even your third draft or 10th draft you you know right. knowing that we don't have to do that i think has been the made the writing process a lot easier a lot more comfortable yeah. a lot more and a lot more expressive in that way too because you have a little bit more freedom to not feel like it has to be incredible right away which yeah that first track has to be the, the finished product we we know it's it's more about capturing the emotion and the feel of what we're trying to portray and then we can like you know, tweak the words here and there, and like, you know, guitar licks or these things to kind of put the icing on the cake on top of it. For sure. I totally agree with that. So your first album, do you think you, you thought you had to come with almost a complete song and now we, you understand the, the process a little more that you guys can uh, trust each other to develop? Yeah. Honestly, there's a big level of trust. And this is probably another thing that people don't realize is like writing songs and creating things, we put so much of like our personal emotion into these songs. Well, we do. Maybe not everybody does this in our process. Maybe this is why people like our songs because we do this. It's, maybe it's not as common, but it's common for us. So we we put so much thought and emotion in like ourselves into the song. It's tough to like open that up to like say Dave after I have an idea of how I want the song to go, and then be like Dave, I gave you this first, and then Dave has an, a different kind of idea. In you know, releasing the control grip of how you want it to go enough to let someone else entrust their creative opinion. It when you once you like can do that and be like cool with changing stuff and like let the ego down a little bit, man. That's how our songs have gone from like where they were then to like where they are now is being able to share that and openly trust each other to be like yeah let's try it that way and bounce each other's ideas off because the, the the final product ends up being a thousand times better than if we were just like this is the song this is how i want it to be done you know right. when everybody in the band gets to add their opinion and oh man especially with a group of talented musicians that we have it shapes it so much better it makes it a thousand times better and that's probably my favorite part of this process now it's like okay i got this rough idea in my head and I just get down what I have and I send it to the guy. And then I'm like, what do you think? Right. And then Dave sends me back up first. That's sick. And I'm like, yes, this is it. Yeah. yeah. Let's send it. Let's get base on it. Let's get to, we're actually just talking about this today. So it's an exciting process now, like collaborative effort. And before in our first record, we didn't really have that. It was just like songs that we had written. We needed something recorded so we could show we're like not even the same guys that we were on that album. Some of those songs kind of like honestly embarrassed us a little bit because we're like kids talking about like, you know, kind of immature shit. Now we're like old, we're older, like in our thirties, like Dave's got a fiance. We're going to his wedding this summer. Like it's just, we're different people now than we were when we wrote those songs. So even, yeah. even just that part is different too. I'm so glad yeah. that when I was in high school and college, you know, that like the term like cringe, like wasn't like, yeah <laughs> in the vernacular at that time because i just look back and i'm and i'm like oh my like what the fuck's wrong with me like just right. terrible you know and i couldn't imagine you know in 10 years i look back at these podcasts I'm like what the fuck am i talking about but i couldn't imagine you know putting music out or you're up there singing to people and yeah. so personal and you do you feel and maybe you're over this now but like when you first started and you're releasing original music did you just feel judged as you're up there 
like just subconsciously or somewhere in the back, like, oh my God, man, like I wrote these songs. I'm writing about, you know, it's kid shit, whatever you're saying. And now it's getting more right. mature and you're switching to a different lane. But even still, like that's, that's like your private thoughts and experiences. Exactly. Like, was that, yeah. was that like, tough to deal with? I think it's it varies from song to song and what you're actually writing about too. Yeah. But I think if you're not if you're not looking back at yourself as you get older and saying like, what the fuck was I thinking? Then that just means you're not growing, right? And you're stuck. Yeah, probably doing it wrong. So so when you look back, if you kind of have that that mindset, then it's almost kind of cool. You can like laugh at it rather than kind of feel like a little bit cringy in your stuff. You're like, oh yeah, that was me then. Oh yeah, well, you know, and and then you, now you can look at yourself and say like, wow, you know, I I like where I've been and like where that brought me to this place now. Yeah, uh, I do. Same thing with the yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I wrote these uh, this kids book series for like a fourth grade book series because my nine to five job isn't that exciting. So my son used to ask, hey, daddy, what do you do? I was like, I'm really on Excel all day, and he's like, what's that? I'm like money and numbers and, and he wasn't impressed at all so <laughs> i started writing a, a kid's book for him about like a spy and i used his name in it and you know growing up like gi joe and all the stuff was was like awesome to watch the cartoons and like nobody ever really got hurt so i kind of made my book that was like friendly like that like nobody died or anything like that but there was, there was action and fighting and punching yeah. and i self-published it on amazon i wrote three books and two of them were up there third nice. one come out oh thanks yeah but i almost puked when i first published it like all of this stuff in here like came from in my head all of this, like the the dialogue, yeah. and like you know, like people are like looking into your dreams, and it's like ah, I'm not, I don't know if I'm ready for this. I don't know if I'm built for this. Right, you know, it's really definitely something you get more used to over time. But the first few times, it's definitely nerve wracking for sure. I started when I was younger. I started as like a rapper when we were in college, so I was like really saying some sideways stuff, like, and I just I kind of you know, broke the ice like early on by like releasing rap songs that were saying this, just like really speak in my mind. Um, so when we got to the writing process for the band, I'd already kind of had that before. And I guess I, I kind of more had like, a, I don't really give a shit kind of attitude more in the, in the beginning. And as you start getting older, you start caring more about what you say and why you say it and you think more about like well shit if a hundred people are going to listen to this song or a thousand people or how what am i really going to say i have the opportunity to say like and then you start thinking more about your words and using them and the more carefully and, and growing in writing uh and that's kind of more where we are now but then it was it was nerve wracking just to write songs about anything and put them out there. Cause we just kind of didn't want people to think we weren't cool or we just want to be good enough. Or back then it was all about being cool. Like when we first started writing songs and doing stuff, like everything was about being cool. And like, now it's less about being cool and more about leaving a lasting, something that'll, that'll last longer than us. So I guess a, le a legacy, something that people can remember us by something that can help someone. We write a lot from, our experiences and like who we are and like how we feel and what we've learned from. So I know a lot of people relate to the songs and, and uh, it's helped help people through tough times. Like they have us and it's like when we're writing them, it's helping us through hard times. It, it's really cool to see how it's been so different. Dave dabbled with recording too. When we were younger, he had different versions of bands and stuff. So making it in the beginning, I guess our intent 
behind the songs is different from then and now. And that's why it's diff- it feels different for us to release music than it did then. I mean, we're not as nervous because we know that we're sharing pieces of ourselves with people and it's going to help someone. And it's coming from a pure intent rather than like trying to be cool. So it's less judged, you know? Yeah. And I think at least for me, uh, it feels like for all of us, I'm a little bit more excited about the stuff that we've kind of been working on now. And we're starting to bring in together that songs are kind of coming together and that, it makes me feel like I'm I'm a little bit more proud of the message and a little bit more, yeah. little more proud about what what's coming, what's right. behind, what's motivating these songs rather than just oh that sounds cool. You know, I think right. it, it's a little bit more. It's a little bit more, a little more meaningful, and that just makes it. You look forward to working on it a little bit more that way. Too. Yeah, more exciting for us for sure because it means something to us now. Yeah, means more. We're adults. We're grown men. We've in- invested all these years and all this time into this, and we're here. Like, we're really not playing anymore. You know, we're like we're putting out some. We're planning to put out a real record that's like going to be a statement. Fall and the, the first record kind of was like, all right, these guys are great. This is great music, but it's like, wasn't quite there yet. This re- this record's going to be like like a hammer drop. Like that's what we're hoping for. And we're putting a lot of that focus and energy and feel and emotion into writing the song. And it's showing, especially with the crew of guys that we have that are helping us. We can't, like Dave said, we care more about it. So we're working on it more. I, I don't know how it kind of like a snowball effect, right? So they're getting, the songs are getting better because we're getting more excited about it. It's, it's growing like that. You guys have the experience under your belt now, and then you got the the first album and the other songs you've worked on, and now you're growing as a band and you have more experiences and you're right. hitting the road and you're doing these things and you can add more depth to the song. It's exactly uh, it. Yeah. So it's, you know, like Dave said that, you know, if you're not looking back and kind of embarrassed at what you did, you're not really growing. And not that you're embarrassed by your songs, I'm not saying that at all. But also you guys wanted to put something out and it was almost more important that the lyrics were cool, that someone's like, man, I really like that you said that. Right. But in reality now, as you're getting older, the really cool thing is like, man, I get your message. Like I right. that song like means something to me, not like oh, I like your one you, lyric. Right. Yeah, yeah. And that's actually what's cool then. So it's just how everybody right. grows and develops. Exactly. Yeah, for everybody, but for us, that's kind of just where we're at right now. Yeah, I think that's awesome. Dave, do you sing at all when you were doing your solo gigs? Were you singing? Uh speaking of solo gigs, I actually kind of have to run to a solo gig. Um Yeah, you are you have a gig today, don't you? Uh, I got a gig up in Manchester, New Hampshire, so I got to kind of hightail it. But yeah, I do sing. That's where I'm <laughs> now. Awesome, man. Uh, yeah, hey, and, uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm ju- I can't sing. So that was one of the things as we were driving up, we got this whole conversation about karaoke and all that. I was like, I can't even do karaoke. Like, it, It's not good for anybody. So anybody who can sing, I'm amazed at. Everybody can sing and everybody should sing. That's how I believe. Yeah. It doesn't stop me from singing. I just don't sing in public like I should. That's but funny. My, my family does hear me sing. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, I got to run. Um, thanks for having us on. I don't know if you're gonna, Mike, you can keep continuing on, but uh, I was happy to have been. I'm happy I got a chance to pop in anyway. But, yeah, uh, it was good to see you, man. Have a good gig. I appreciate it, Dave, man. Thanks for jumping on. Good luck at the gig. Thank you. We'll see you next time we're in Jersey, yeah? Sounds good, man. Definitely. Cheers. Cheers. Mike, how long have you been singing? You say you started off as a rapper. Were you singing before? Yeah. Or were you always uh, rapping? I've been kind of like musical for... Basically my whole life, 
my mom was like really big into like R&B and like kind of soulful music. She was always singing when she was cleaning and doing the stuff in the house. My father was a musician. It's kind of just like always kind of been around me. I've always been kind of singing and dancing and that was just like who I was. So I'd say probably my whole life I've been like entertaining or like, you know, grooving, but professionally, like a first gig I played was when I was like 14. I played uh, my best friend's little sister's birthday party with his older brother's band. And they like, we went and played the birthday party. And I was like the first time I had ever gotten on the mic, like in front of a stage that like, you know, was the, we were at a gig and, and I fell in love with it. So it's been, I'm 32 now. I don't know, 15, 16, 17 years. I'll be 32 in June 14th. My, my birthday's coming up soon, in a couple of weeks. But yeah, so probably like 15, 16 years, we've, I've been performing and singing and writing and doing it one way or another. That's awesome. We were at the concert, so Opie's up there, and he sings in like four or five different ways. And I'm like, I can't even do one. And this guy can change his yeah. voice for entire songs the way he's yeah. doing stuff, and then he switched to rapping, and then the, like the the speed with putting the scouting in there. I'm like, this isn't fair. Like, how's he have five of them? I don't have one. Yeah, one of them. You know, he's awesome. I love his range of different style. Some of the songs, listening to the Long Beach Stuff All Stars, I didn't even know it was Opie. When I first met him, I didn't even know that that was him. Like the image of Opie and the actual Opie in my head weren't the, wasn't the same. I didn't even know that like that was him singing on the songs years and years and years ago. When and I put it together, I'm like, oh my god, that was he's singing singing for Long Beach Dub All Stars. Uh, and then obviously being on the tour of them was was different. But yeah, you wouldn't. If at first glance, when you meet him, you would not know that he's so amazing at singing and performing and entertaining. And like, he he does have such a range of styles. And their music does go from Jamaican, like hardcore, to some like dance hall stuff, to reggae, to rap and hip hop. The Dub All Star styles range. I, we got to really see it on a tour. And man, there's a reason why those songs are still touring and still being jammed and streamed across the world not even just here in the united states they're internationally you know there's a reason because they're incredible performers his he has all different styles their songs relate to people it was a huge influence on our early years like we were talking about when we were kids but to see it live and watch him perform especially on that first show that you were at we were just as surprised as you were <laughs> like wow <laughs> you yeah know? it's it's crazy you know that he has that and it'd be interesting if brad was still here like what his role would have developed into would would yeah. the dubs have been something different or whatever it would have been but you know to get that get that opportunity to go out there uh, it his talent is just you know amazing yeah it was awesome to be out there and watch and to see it firsthand and you know these guys aren't they're not old but they're not like spring chickens anymore, you know. They're like he to see him out there with so much energy and bumping and, and getting after it and having a like getting the crowds going and he didn't stop moving once the whole entire tour. He just bounces back and forth. It's it's really like motivating, you know, inspirational to me. I'm like, damn, if he can do it, like I I I got a little more gas in the tank, you know. You can't slow down if he's still going. You're like, oh my god, right, I gotta exactly. keep pace with him. We had, we got no choice but to pick it up. Like we we're not tired. He's running circles around us, you know. And at least the Bert and Betty show that show got over. I think it was like one fifteen when they finally wrapped up. Yeah. I, I I was 
I didn't know venues really went that late. You know, camping yeah. festivals, like they go all night and they don't care. But oh, typically yeah. a place in the middle of a the neighborhood, they're going to cut it off. And they're like, ah, we're just going to keep going. No, it was a late one. And then we had to get to Beach Haven, Rhode Island the next night. So we actually, we stayed at the same hotel as them. We had to wake up early the next morning too at like seven in the morning or something crazy like that and get our stuff together and get out of there early the next morning. So we didn't really sleep that much after that night. And we, the second show sold out. So we were rolling into a sold out show after the first one, kind of being already tired. And uh, we saw them outside the hotel and stuff in the morning, but yeah, dude, rock star energy for sure. Those he's like, he's like the picture esque. like, how the hell does this guy do that? Uh, like, you know what I mean? Like, it comes from somewhere beyond like a natural source of energy for him. And it's like, it's contagious. Everybody else around, like there's no way that we could, you know, slack or be tired or not bring it every night. Cause like we knew that they were going to. No, that's awesome. All right. So in college you were rapping, what was your rap name? I just went by my name. I Who were your influences in rap when you were growing up? Ooh, were so I was, I was in college like 2009 to 2012, which was when like the college rappers were like big, right? So like Asher Roth, Mac Miller, uh, local Boston guy, Sammy Adams. I don't know if you've heard of him. Um, th- these are like just like the guys we were listening to in college that it was a big time for music blogs. Good music all day was a music blog. The music blog scene was really what was like, pushing rapping and home recording and like the independent college rap scene and stuff was pushing it forward with the blogs. Uh, So it was like, I was kind of mixed in with that trying to fit in. So those were the guys I was listening to at the time, but like my favorite rappers, Jay-Z, I grew up listening to Eminem, Ludacris, you know, the, the standards, all the top standards. Obviously little Wayne was huge while I was in college who was the best rapper alive at the time, you know? So I took a little bit of all of that. Hip hop was like my first love and rapping and doing that. And as I got older, I kind of just, not that you can't rap forever, but I didn't, I guess like being a local rapper at, you know, an older age or seeing, I saw ahead, you know, what's the sustainability and longevity of this? Like, can I see myself making a real sustainable future rapping uh coming from a small town doing the thing and you definitely can there's those you know success stories but i played my first couple acoustic gigs you know and they're offering me a free meal a couple beers and a few hundred bucks and i'm like you know maybe there's something there so i started focusing on playing guitar and singing more uh learned a bunch of songs started you know gigging and doing those things and then that kind of now I, I play music full time. I don't have a, a job for the last like four or five years. I've been playing music full time before I was working full time and gigging full time. So from then till now, it grew from being a rapper and wanting to do those things. And I put on shows myself. This was like before we were 21. So we couldn't play at any bars or anything like that. And not that any, even if we could, no bars have like some of them do, but hip hop, they're not like putting on a rap show on Friday night, you know, it's like they're bands. You go to a restaurant or a, or a bar and you're seeing a band, you're seeing a, an acoustic performer. So we used to rent out halls and charge five bucks to put on a hip hop show. And we'd do that when we were like 18, 19, 20, before we were 21. And 
I knew that there we weren't going to be able to keep really doing that sustainably. So it just kind of naturally focused more on singing, playing guitar, because I could make money and, and a good living that way. And then that's when I stumbled into the residency spot at that first bar. My friend asked me to put a band together for it. And then Dave came and played with us. And then years later, here we are. And that's, it's kind of, I done, I always do both. I have rap music that is out um, under Mike Frigette on Spotify uh, and iTunes that you can look. So only like two or three songs on there, I think. Uh, so I took all my old stuff down because I was embarrassed by the things that I was saying. <laughs> so I left, you know, a couple of the good ones out. And I'm always like kind of doing that as a side project. And I think you can hear the hip hop influence in our songs from me, at least when I really get into the verses and stuff. And we kind of flex that hip hop muscle a little more in the new song that we're putting out and that we're writing now. It's not gone per se. We're just kind of mixing it all together. And to have that influence and to come from that background, I think gives us a, a different dynamic than, you know, some of the other guys who aren't from hip hop or, or rapping, being able to make that into the reggae with the band, with the rest of the guys is something that maybe sets us apart. You're looking ahead, you were saying. So, you know, you see the Rolling Stones are 100 years old and those guys are yeah. still touring and making a billion still dollars. Still doing it, man. And who's the, oldest, be... who's the oldest rapper? I mean, Jay-Z will come out every once in a while or he'll do. Right. He has the Made in America Festival in Philadelphia yeah. over uh, Labor Day. Cool. But sometimes you come out. But also he's a billionaire, so he doesn't really have to do it. But you right. know, it's you're, also you're the love of the music. 45, 50, 60, 65 years old still, you know talking about money and hoes and all the stuff, you know, it's like, that's not, I and mean, if you're the nineties gangster rap. Then, you, it's tough to sell about, you know, rap about selling crack and killing people. And you're like, dude, you're 65 years old on Medicaid. Like, I don't think that's yeah, happening. Anymore. Like what's up. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, some of them still do. And people are right. <laughs> talking about that stuff, but like, you know, as well as I do that, it's not like, that's not what everybody's trying to hear. Right. Like, yeah, but th that's exactly what it was like. It's like, I know I am good at this. I know I could pursue this. I know guys are pursuing this. But I guess the more I did it and the more, the further into it I got, the more I saw that I just like not how I wanted to portray myself. And it's not really the person I want to be going forward, like in music. And as I guess as a person either, it's not how I want to be portrayed. It's not how I want to be remembered. It, and that goes hand in hand with, you know, what we were saying in the music and how it's, grown to now is we're more intentional with what we're saying it means more to us if you had a million followers in like that's what you choose to say to them kind of thing you know like i would rather write a meaningful song not that you can't write a meaningful rap song you definitely can i just think it's more appealing to the masses and you're able to convey your message better in a band or acoustic or when you when it's accompanied by instruments it's easier for me to get somebody to listen to that and to resonate with it on a broader spectrum than like, here's my rap demo. Please listen to it. You know, I, I guess it's, yeah, that's that, at least for me, that's, that's how I feel about it. And I think if you can sing and then you also can rap, so that's good too. So, so that's good. Like a lot of singers, you know, you can't rap or, you know, but you right. get rage against the machine or something, they have it. And then, yeah. you know, you guys can mix in some at least fast singing or type of rap into a song where if you're just a rapper and then you pull out the acoustic guitar and they're like, Oh, what is this? Whitey Ford out here again? Yeah. And, what's going you know, on? Yeah. But, uh, I mean, Everlast, Hey, he'd make, makes a fortune Crushed doing it. that now and, right. and still doing that. But very rarely do you have that acoustic guitar 
rapper taken seriously and then just trying to rap on their own without music. So I, right. mean, I think you made a good choice. I mean, there are people like, you know, Lords of Brooklyn and stuff like that that do have it rap. It can and- be done. It's just a lot harder, yeah. right? It's it's a lot. It can be can be done. It's just a lot harder. And those guys who make it, those are outliers, man. Like there's only one ever left. You know what I mean? Like, they, you know what I'm saying? Like it's, it, these guys are outliers. They're anomalies. They're, this isn't the standard. That doesn't happen all the time. Not everybody's going to be Eminem, you know, like there's, it's, it, those guys are shooting stars, <laughs> you know, I right. took they're one in a million like, to do that. Right. I took a more like realistic approach. That's kind of what I did. Like um, I saw early on that I, maybe I could not say I was squashing my dream or anything, but like, I'm not going to be the next Eminem. But if I pick up a guitar, maybe I can make a living with music, you know? And that's, that's kind of what motivated me. Right. You're the um, two sports star who had to choose which path they wanted to go. You're going to full ride in basketball right. or football, but you can't right. do both. Like which one are you taking? I actually, so I went and recorded the first time I was in a real studio. It was my platinum sound recording in Jacksonville, Florida. I went to school in Jacksonville at Jacksonville University. And uh, this is the studio that they recorded the WAP. I don't know if you ever heard the song. Let me see what what is like a dance that they did. Kind of like yeah. it's, it's it's called the WAP. It was, it was a big song back then. So I went to this like famous studio, or whatever. They had platinum records on the wall in. I was talking to the producer that was recording, never met him before or anything. And I'm like, so what do you think? Like, and he's like, I think the rapping's good, but you can sing. You should sing. And it was just like kind of a simple blunt thing that a, the first professional that recorded me said to me, he's like, you have a good voice. There's a million people who can rap. Not everybody can sing like that. He's like, you should sing. <laughs> so that was like another you know, light bulb that I was just like, well, yeah, he's right. It's pretty easy to rap and, you know, put words in rhythm to a beat, but not everybody can belt out a tune. And it was another kind of one of those step up, level up kind of things where I was like, okay, if I focus more on the singing, I can still rap, but not everybody can sing. So it was another one of those things that just like honed a new skill to set us aside again and to grow. Just keep stacking that in your arsenal of right. things that you can that take it. out. It yep. also seems that so far in your musical life that you keep running into the right people at the right time. You know, you, so that that guy sitting there telling you like, hey, you know, rapping's cool and all, but like you can sing, go follow that. You're driving in Boston. So you got, you know, you guys were from yeah. an hour north of Boston and you run into Dave. Like what if you were, I love sliding doors. I Anywhere love the else. idea of if you'd made that light and then you didn't run into them, like that whole thing yep. just changed. And now you guys are here. Like all I, I find that all amazing. I think all those synchronicities like. when you're on your path and you're following like your heart, I guess, at least for me, it sounds pretty corny, but naturally when your intentions are pure and you're moving with like appreciation and, and love for everything that's going on and you're following your passion and, what is driving you that way, you naturally just kind of create these opportunities and these things, I guess, attract to you. And you you discover these opportunities because no matter what happened that day or whatever the instance might be, I knew I was going to make the best out of that opportunity. Or I guess like things turn out the best for the way, best for those who make the best out of the way things turn out. I don't know. It, it, it's something like that. We create our own luck. Right. I'm fine. I'm working so hard to do it. 
I think 20 years ago, I would have said that was corny. I have the last 10, 15 years, I've really been focusing on stuff like that. I don't do it all the time. And it slips my mind yeah. as I'm like, hey, be appreciative, mindfulness. You create your yeah. own reality. You create your own happiness. Right. If, right. I, if I am walking by you in the street and I bump into you, like, you know, like, that's a dick move, man. Like, what are you doing? But if I walk by and say, hey, just good morning, anything, or, you know, just yeah. a smile and a nod. And now you just brighten that person's day a little bit. Who may be having a shitty day. You know, right. and then you're going to bring good things to you because you have a positive energy, you know, coming right. off of you. So, I mean, it's something it all, it all comes cool bullshit, around. but it works though, too. It's, it's right. You know, it does. Yeah. And a lot of it, a lot of it, honestly, I'm not going to act like it's luck. Do we work our asses off? We, this is all I do 24 7, 365 for the last probably 15 years. I've been relentlessly pursuing this goal of creating a sustainable living off of music whether it's gigging writing music with the guys touring with over the bridge i always my goal wasn't like to be rich and famous my goal is to like make a living an honest living off of music somehow like a carpenter you know i just want to clock my time card and go to work with music somehow so my goal that be knowing that was my goal i've always been working to build towards that and people are always like oh when you make it when you make it it's gonna you're gonna make it man it's like I do well. What is making it to you? Because right now I'm doing exactly what I set out to do. You know, I'm making it a living. I don't have a boss. I make my living off of music professionally. Uh, so making it like there. I made it right. That's exactly yeah. what I wanted to do. Maybe yeah, there's levels to it, but yeah. honestly, after seeing the tour and seeing those things, like I don't know how those guys do it for months on end. I don't know that I would be prepared. To leave my family, my hometown, my girlfriend, like everybody for three months to go out there on the road and do that. I don't know if my body would hold up. I don't know if my mind can hold up. But it's kind of like those things, like to other people, that is making it. That's blowing up, getting on the tour. But like once you get to that level, like I kind of know, like it's not all roses. That's that's kind of it's hard to do. It sucks. They're not getting paid that much money. You better hope you sell enough merch at that table to, you know pay for the the lights to stay on and stuff because you know that these guarantees for the openers and stuff unless you're headlining like it's not that much but people all perceive that as like making it and i know at least that it, it's not all what it's cracked up to be so for me where i am is i have a sustainable music business and we have people that are listening to us i'm talking to you right now you're in new jersey you saw us at a show you know it's like we're doing these things without being that without making it to everyone else. And I guess it's just like what your goal specifically is. Uh, some people want all the attention and to be loved by as many people as they can and travel and do all that stuff. And that's why they'll sacrifice and do all the things they need to do to stay out on the road for months at a time. You know, like that stuff isn't what I hold a priority. So like, I don't know that I could do it, <laughs> like how they do it. Well, there's also uh, levels I'm, and you get to that point and you can control it though. Like, Hey, we're going to go hit, hit the East coast for a month. Right. And I'm going to come back for two months. Then we're going to do the Midwest for a month and come back for two months. And you guys, right. can, you know, but it's, yep. it, if you're not 18 or 20 and you know, you just met your girlfriend, like, Hey, sorry, babe, I'm out now for six years. I'm going to go tour the country in a van. Like, and yeah. I grew up in a we shitty home environment. And houses and, and and stuff I'm out now. Like, yeah. But I feel like you like your life and it's really hard to be like, Oh, I'm going on a world tour now. Well, you, you can level your way up to that or adjust or whatever have, it is. We, Dave's getting married. I've lived with my girlfriend for years. We, you know, we have dogs. Uh, Austin, our drummer, has a, a wife and a new baby. You know, 
guys that there, I know guys that are on tour right now that are having new babies, then that's going to be the hardest thing ever is to leave for months on end, knowing like the potential to like miss your kids first step because you're like out there, like to have, you have to have a support base in your family and your loved ones have to be rock solid and down for the cause too, in order to make stuff work like that, which is hard, man. That's hard to find a bunch of people that believe in you enough to make those sacrifices of you being gone and doing those things. And I don't know if that I, me personally could ask that of my loved ones, you know, I don't know I could, if I could ask them to give me up and let me just go like that. That's a tough decision, man. Yeah. No, I mean, I live in a neighborhood where there's a bunch of pilots and they're gone and the Air Force is right up the street too. So yep. some of those guys get deployed. And But the pilots, you know, they fly commercial and they're gone for four or five, six days at a time. And it like their stable home turns into single family real quick. And, you know, right. all this scaring, I couldn't imagine like, oh, hey, we're going on tour and we're, we're gone for, for months and months and months. And as I said, again, if that, you know, hey, I want all the success that you want for yourself. Yeah. I you get all of that. Absolutely. And, yeah. And you can work your way up on that. But I was listening to uh, a Rogan years ago and uh, Everlast was on there and he was playing some of his newer songs. And he went into this whole thing of how he is so happy not to be a part of the machine anymore. And he owns his own music and he has his own recording studio in his house. And he's like, I get right. now, instead of getting a penny a song, I'm getting a dollar a song. And like just flip yeah. the whole way of how it was. And he's like, I can tour on my own terms. I can go do what I want. And also, depending on the venue that you're playing, you know, the insurance that you might need. He's like, Great. You said you played, you know, a stadium. You went, you played Boston Garden, T D Garden. And yeah. uh, you know, that holds probably what like thirty thousand people or something. And but the insurance you have to pay on that, like actually, if you just played a ten thousand person place three nights, right, you would have made ten times the amount of money, but you want to say that you played T D Garden instead of a, a smaller right. venue out in Boston. So like, you know, there's a lot of stuff to go into this and, and ways little, to find out. Little details in the back that happen like that. Right. Yeah. Exactly on that line, just spot on. Yeah. Uh, but the guys who are saying to you like, hey man, when are you going to make it? When are you going to make it? When are you going to play the garden? And when are you going to, like, dude, like I am making it. I'm my own boss. Yeah. And there's seriously. ways to make more money that are you know, like so much smarter I got, a, I got a check yesterday from Spotify. We don't have to split that with anybody. Nobody's taking any of it. We kept a hundred percent of our streaming. I literally got a, a a digital transfer for Spotify yesterday. Nobody takes a penny. When we got on our tour, off this tour, we're self-managed. I do all of our emails. All of our stuff is in-house. I was on with you know, the production and sound teams for all the venues, dealing with our tech riders, running logistics, booking the hotels. So all these other bands have teams of people. When you get signed to a label, they assign a team. They have all these teams of people. Uh, that are handling all these different things for them. The merch, the people at the merch table are taking a cut and everybody's getting a little piece of the pie and after expenses too, even. So even for Long Beach, I don't know exactly, you know, the numbers for them or how they split it up, but I know that we cut more of our money than they did just because of that reason alone that we don't have a team that we have to split it with. We do it all of ourselves at our level, right? So you'd think that they were, you know, their bigger band, they've been in, they're the headliners doing all this stuff. It actually costs more for them to be them than it does for us too. It's a trade-off, you know, like at some point, right? You go from being a band that gets guarantees, you know, they'll give you this much for a set or whatever, you're playing bars and they're giving you, you know, a few hundred or whatever it is. Then you graduate up a level and now you're selling tickets. Now you have to make way less money. There's no guarantee. You make way less money in order for the opportunity to make more potentially. Now you're selling tickets. If you don't sell any tickets, you don't get paid. If 
there's only a couple hundred tickets and the venue takes a certain cut uh, for the sound guy and the door and everything else, then, you know, you've left with a small number. Then you have to split that with three bands. You know, it's like, well, what's smarter? Do we tour and do all those things? Or do I play at the bar down the street right next to my house for a couple hundred bucks that I get to keep 100% of, right? Or it's cool that we say that we're on tour with Long Beach Dub All Stars, but what makes more money, right? Like what is really more profitable? For me, it's the solo gigs. That I make my living and I'm able to pay my bills and you know make life moves and things by hustling all my gigs and doing my solo gigs. And that affords me enough money and resources to be able to rent our van. And like all the other guys kind of like have jobs too. So we're not like sweating costs on the road, like eating ramen and stuff. Like we needed to stay an extra night in a hotel. We just got the hotel. You know what I mean? It wasn't like we weren't crunching numbers. Like, oh, do we have the budget to get this one more night in the hotel? We got to sleep in the van tonight. It was like, you know, I would rather live that way than be on the road living in the van. And that's how, you know. Right. You got a bit of a safety net and then you can right. pick and choose, you know, the tours that make what sense for do. you. Right. Right. Like you can't pass up the opportunity to open up for, for the dubs. No. But then Absolutely you know, but, not. It was yeah. a, and we even doesn't make sense. No you're still that. like, shit, I got to go do right. this. Yeah. Yeah. We were like, how do we make this happen? Right. Yeah. Exactly. We did. But the next guy that calls and you're like, you know what? Like, we'll see what's happening. This is right. Now we, and honestly, now from those tour numbers, uh, especially if they're on the same tour route and they try to pick us up. Now we have like tangible numbers. Like we sold out in, in Rhode Island. We sold, uh, I think it was like uh, between two and 300 at Bird and Betty's. We did 1200 in Maine at the festival. The next night at Bernie's in New Hampshire, we did 450. So now we have like tangible numbers, real actual numbers, data uh, that we can use to leverage on that stuff. You know, they ask us to open for Long Beach or for the next guy that's running through them as a local opener. And I'll say, well, you know, that was yesterday's price, <laughs> you know, <laughs> inflation, man. It's, it gets yeah, everywhere. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome, man. What do you guys have on tap? What's coming up? We got a couple of really big hometown shows. The St. Peter's Fiesta. I don't know if you ever heard of that. If you got some time, Google. Uh, St. Peter's Fiesta in Gloucester, Massachusetts. It's an event celebrating St. Peter, who's the patron saint of the fishermen. So the, this week-long celebration and feast and fe festival carnival and games uh, is honoring him. And it's the blessing of the fleet of uh, safe passage of fishermen, safe return home, bountiful cash, those kind of things. Uh, so it's, it's rooted in religion, but it's like a pilgrimage for anybody who's from the area. Like, Thousands of people go to Gloucester every year for this week. It's like uh, Mardi Gras, but Italian and, and Gloucester. So we're playing. Historically, they have this big, giant stage in the middle of the carnival. And they don't really let, like, I don't want to say real bands, but, like, it's usually, like, a Frank Sinatra, like, guy or, like, you know, something like that. Like, not an actual, real, local, original band. They finally let us on, so it's going to be huge. We're really excited about it. We brought in a lighting team that's designing a lighting show specifically to our set and our songs. We brought in a professional sound team specifically. This, and this is like one of those things where we can't afford to just do this and make this happen and, and capitalize on this opportunity because we're not like starving artists. And we, you know what I mean? So we're able to make this big. It's a big show coming up. It is June... 21st it's a wednesday we're, our show starts at 7 p.m it's it's at in gloucester at st peter's fiesta we're really excited about it we're like the first local hometown band to play on the big stage 
It's probably going to be like over a thousand people there. It's going to be awesome. We're doing another one at a hometown bar that same week for Fiesta. Really excited about that. And then we're playing Portsmouth Music Hall in New Hampshire. That's in July. In August, David's getting married and, and he's going to France for his honeymoon. So we're kind of like we're just focusing on finishing writing and doing some stuff. In September, uh, we have another a couple of big shows in Maine coming up. In October, we're playing with G-Love. Um, Love G-Love, Badfish. Awesome. Yeah, we're playing yeah. with G-Love, Badfish. Uh, and Roots of Creation at G Love's festival um, that he throws it's called the Juice Fest in Rutland, Massachusetts. We're playing that. That's going to be really fun. My quick R- G Love right story. Now, just, yeah, we're like a lot of uh, a lot of local area New Hampshire, Maine, Massachusetts shows right now while we work on the album. Um, obviously, we're trying to like you know if anything comes across, but right now it's it's big local shows that we're doing. We're not really playing like bars and stuff anymore. I kind of graduated out of that. So it's cool to be doing these like local events and brew fests and things like that while we work on, you know, our next album. You said you had a a G love story. So I got a quick G love story for you. So my buddy known him forever. Great dude. And in like high school, like, Hey man, there's this party tonight. It's all these girls and it's a free beer. And you're like, "Uh, okay. And you show up and it's 10 dudes who don't want you there at all. And they're like "Uh, beer for you is 20 bucks. And the next night he would tell a story, but like eventually some of the guys, like, I'm not going, I'm like, every once in a while, like that would truly happen. You're like, Oh my God, like, how are we the only guys here? And you know, so (laughs) Sam Adams light is coming out and they're, they're get all the local bartenders are giving tickets to. So my buddy calls me up. He's like, Hey man, what are you doing tonight? Nothing. Probably 22 years old. Got nothing going on. He's like electric factory probably holds like 2000 people electric factory tonight, free Sam Adams. G loves playing a free concert. Do you want to go? I was like, dude, there's no way. This isn't real. There's no way. There's no way. I'm like, fine. You have tickets. Yeah. Fine. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. We show up. The bar. They're just popping tops of the bottles, just popping them up and lying them up. So I walk up. I got like a twenty dollar bill out. I'm like, oh, I'll take two beers. And the guy standing me. He's like, they're they're free. Just take it. I'm like, what? So I still don't even believe that they're free. Wow. So now, now I've now I've got like two beers in each hand. Uh, this is you know uh, probably 2003. I've got cargo shorts lined up with beers all in. <laughs> the guy's like, what are you doing? Just come back and get more. I'm like, no, 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 you're going to start charging. Then G-Love comes out and he plays for like two hours. All, all this was free. It was amazing. That's awesome. Yeah. The Electric was, Factory too? Yeah. What? They, they shut cool the Electric Factory down and renamed it. It's such a great venue. And it was such a, it was a, like how Burton Betty's had the top tier, but this is yeah. now just like, you know, you're expanding this a lot bigger, but they yeah. had that too. So you could look down at people. That is really cool. I like when yeah. they have the balcony style like yeah. that. And that's where Long Beach first played when I saw them over there. Uh, of a revolution, those guys saw them come through there. All these other bands going through, you know, for them to shut that down and, and make a, a new venue. I feel like they shut down the classic venues just to build new stuff, just to say they did it. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of that's happening in our area up here in Massachusetts and the Boston area, too. A lot of the old venues and are shutting down the classic, you know, legendary places. And they're opening these like state of the art new uh, venues that I guess have like less, less life, uh, you know, less, less more corporate feel to them, you know, more right. like there's, there's not the dried beer on the wall. You can't smell like yeah, the past performances. Yeah, like, like this is part of it. There's no memories in it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it, there's definitely something there with it. There's something to, yeah. Seeing a, a, one of your favorite bands in a club that, you know, some crazy things have happened in before. <laughs> yeah. It's nuts. So uh, I've got, I know nothing about music. I appreciate the stuff that I hear. I think yeah, you guys yeah. are doing great. I know nothing about managing music. So, all right. So these are 
one idea I came up with. I like this guy, Dave Hawes. He's an old, old punk rocker in his 40s now. And yeah. he plays this like Americana stuff. So last summer, he's playing around here. Uh, so I text my buddy like, hey, do you want to go? We look. Kids 12 and under were free. So I'm like, oh, man, like, let's bring our kids. So sure. we brought our sons. We go up there. We're watching them play. This little kid runs up with his guitar. He's like three years old, fake guitar, like strumming it away, then runs away. So then Dave, he's like, uh, does your kid want to come here and, and dance and play? Like, my kid has the same guitar. Like, hey, let him come up here. So the little kid like jams out. As they're doing this, like my kids and my buddy's kids, like everyone starts inching forward. So and Dave Hawes is like, uh, do like all you kids want to come on stage? And this was a flat stage. It was like at a festival ground. This was right. a flat stage. Like a hundred kids are on stage with him, all jamming out, <laughs> all bouncing around. They're just they're just up there rocking out. I get a picture, like the sun's going down. I get a picture of my son just Epic. completely rocking out next to Dave Hawes. He's got a glow necklace on and his his hands are up. He's just he's killing it. So he didn't know what a concert was when we're first there. Like he starts playing a song. He's like, Dad, Dad, this is what you listen to on the on the radio. This is what you listen to at home. Like, yeah, man, this is a concert. This is the real live stuff. So now all the time, oh, Dave Hawes is my favorite uh, favorite artist. Dave Hawes, Dave Hawes, Dave Hawes. Plus, <laughs> he got to go on stage with him. I get you can't right. have all the kids go on stage. I get that. But somebody who, like in Imagine Dragons, you know, they might have a couple songs you might feel one way or the other about, but they typically play to a younger crowd. Why right. they don't have like a 5 p.m. show where they can get more kids in? Like in yeah. 20 years, I'm going to be too old to go to concerts. Like, you know, yeah. I, I need, I, there, there have to be at the stadium where I can sit down and have my walker. But my kids in 20 years, they're going to see them now. And then in 20 years, when they come around with their $500 prices, they're like, oh, yeah. this is the first concert I ever saw. Like, that's your bread and butter. I got to go. Right. You need to plan it for the future. So as, yeah. as you guys are doing these different things, think about that. Play an earlier show, get the kids we in do. there, get them hooked. We do. Uh, last year, we did. We do play a lot of day shows, actually. Last year, we did a couple in our hometown where like all. So we're like in our 30s now and all of our friends have kids. And, you know, the kids of people that we grew up with, a few generations older than us, they have children too. So we played local shows it, like this one that I was telling you at the Fiesta, where it's all ages, it's free, it's in our hometown. And all these people who don't get to go out on a Friday, Saturday night because they have the kids can bring the kids to the shows. Uh, we did one that was kind of like this same same idea in september of last year and we packed the whole hill it was like in this little area where there's a hill and they set the stage up kind of like in front of the hill and the whole hill was packed with people there was kids dancing hula hoops and stuff and it was awesome and we got tons of video tons of local people like we're into it uh and the younger kids are like I got people hitting us up all the time. They'll tag us in stories and stuff like my kids love you guys. They're asking if we can play, you know, wash in the car and stuff. They, the exact same thing It's like we were playing the show at, and the, the kids were dancing and they were there. We were interacting with them. And even at my solo gigs, a lot of the kids last summer, I had a, somebody, a, a local friend, they always bring their kids. They turned the tip jar into a basketball hoop. So we had the kids slam Dunkin' dollar bills into the into the tip jar. So it became a game. And now I use it. I'm like, yeah, man, you want to slam Dunkin' dollar bill in the tip jar? Like, the kids will be like, the, the parents are like, yeah, here we go. There, the kids, you know, we got kids running across on the stage, slam Dunkin' some dollar bills into a tip jar, and it's like these these kids remember that stuff. You know, even it might be the first time they've ever seen live music, whether it's in a restaurant or at the concert. But that same thing. Now that kid is going to remember that. And I mean, as far as local music goes, I know that there's guys that I 
saw for the first few times when I was a kid playing locally that I go see when they're playing, you know, their band comes to the bar or like, you know, when they come back around or if they're playing at one of the restaurants I like or something like that, that I'll go check out because of that reason. And I think especially in Gloucester where I'm from, it's like that. I think there'll be kids that are like, that's Mike Frazette from over the bridge. He's playing at lobster land tonight. We've got to go, you know, see it. I remember watching him play when I was a kid, slam Dunkin' dollar bills into the tip jar. You know what I mean? That's awesome. Yeah. So, hey, don't just yeah. limit it to, to the kids, but Hey, adults, you want to come slam some yeah, money in here. Right, to, uh, anybody can slam Dunkin' dollar bills. <laughs> yeah, everybody. Let's go. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to make my tumbo up here. I'm not, no blocks. No yeah, blocks. Yeah. yeah. That's it. Everybody's yes. welcome. <laughs> I think that's awesome, man. I think that's great. And oh, then, yeah, then when you start selling shows out, and and bigger venues. So my my other problem is like Springsteen or somebody will come around. He yeah. can't sell out. You know, you can't sell out TD Garden already more than it is, right? It's sold out. That's what it means. But where is the where is the break even point that you start then offering a streaming version? Like, what right. if you charge me fifty bucks at home and I'm having a watch party with a bunch of people in my backyard yeah. in the fire pit? Like, where yeah. is that? So as you guys start, that's another part of it, that. Right? Where, like, yeah, like where is that? Like, I feel like that's money being left on the table for people. There's a lot of money being left on the table by these guys. I got a couple ideas that we're we're always planning for. My big thing is like, if everything I ever dreamed of came true right now, would I know what to do with it? Or like, would I know what to do? Like, what would you do? I think about that a lot. So like, when the tour came around, I knew what I was doing. I already knew, like, what am I going to do when we get that phone call and we're going on tour at the Long Beach Dub All-Stars? I already had that, like, idea. That's how I think about pretty much everything. So I'm like, what's going to happen when, you know, we're selling out these venues? And what what are we going to do with this stuff? And I got a bunch of little ideas to, for ways that we can kind of, like, do stuff like that. The streaming is definitely one of them. We're streaming everywhere, the pay-per-view kind of thing. I would probably do it for free rather than like make money just because like people at home can't afford to go to the show or something like that. Like maybe just, I don't know, follow if free or our followers or subscribers or something like that. But like imagine, I don't know, where we sold out a venue in Iowa, right? Middle of nowhere, some small little town. And the show gets out at 115 like it did at Bird and Betty's. And we released a thousand people out into the street at 115. Everything's closed right? Why don't these bands own taco trucks or like, <laughs> or like, a, you know, a, like any, they, I will tow a trailer behind our tour bus and I'll, after the set, I'll go from the merch table to the grill and I'll be slinging tacos to these people and we'll double up the show profits just selling tacos after the show. <laughs> you get done a late show. The first thing they go, oh, we're going to go eat. What's up? And what's we up? We gotta go eat. Yeah. If you can go out back out in the, the band that you just paid to see is out there eating tacos and hanging out. Like you're going to yeah, go there and I hang would, out. Yeah. Hell yeah, you are. That's like one idea that I had. I'm like, why are these guys feeding these people after the show? It's like, I know I'm hungry after the show. Let's go eat and I'll make more money. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> they, and Pearl Jam for a while, they were releasing their shows. Maybe they still do it now, but you could buy the live show, but it was always yeah. after. So of a revolution That's for cool. a while, they were, like 20 minutes after the show, you could buy this, this CD of what you just saw. Right. And like, that was fucking cool because like, that's the memory, like, you know, Hey, I like yeah. the studio stuff. But what I really like is a show that right. I just saw that's like, Oh, that means a lot more to me. You put that in the CD player, dude. And you listen to that brings you back, puts you right back into that. That's actually fantastic. That's a crazy idea. Yeah. I, I, I don't know never, how they did that. Yeah. They, they would they, do that on they site. They do live record shows. Uh, pre- basically any of the venues that nowadays 
are equipped to do that because everything's mic'd up anyway. All they have to do yeah. is just hit record. Right. But so, the printing of the CDs, like you were getting a CD 20 minutes later. It, like, how the like, fuck are they right. printing these off? Yeah, that is yeah. crazy. So I guess you could put, you know, in like an iTunes or Spotify and like, hey, spend 10 bucks, Bandcamp or whatever, spend 10 bucks right. and buy those. But to yeah, have the actual CD there is yeah. wild. It was like hanging out. That is cool. Like, okay. Yeah. So that was cool too. But just some ideas, man. Ideas, man. You're yeah, an ideas yeah. man too. Ideas, man. I appreciate Talk to ideas, that, man. man. I, I do. This, man. I yeah. appreciate <laughs> it. I do for sure. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to let you go, man. But you're on yeah, wild dude, and weird and sometimes normal. A pleasure. So you're in you know, the Boston area. Tons of history there. Tons of revolutionary yeah. war shit. You ever see a ghost or anything, man? You ever anything fucking weird? Oh, we played. Ever play uh, a haunted place or anything? You ever play an old bar that was like haunted? We played in Salem. Massachusetts during Halloween weekend. Like, I think it was actually on Halloween. And there's a, I don't know if you've ever been heard of like Salem witchcraft the trials. trials. Like, yeah, yeah. Salem gets really weird during that time. And yeah, we've seen some weird stuff, especially playing that specific show. I just remember like all the freaks were out that time. <laughs> it was like, I don't know if they were real ghosts or like yeah. what, but it was like, they we felt like we're, yeah, the whole city was a haunted house. Yeah. We've played in some pretty cool historical venues where, like, I know that like there's some energy for sure, like in, in the in the buildings where things have happened. Nothing I can think of, like off the top of my head, but that one show in Salem, we played Salem, Massachusetts, on Halloween, like in downtown Salem, like where they all do all the weird shit. And That'd I remember cool, specifically man. being like spooky as hell. <laughs> yeah, that had to be awesome, man. Yeah. Yeah. All right, dude. I really appreciate it. Nothing but love for you guys. I think your music's great. Uh, I think the live version is amazing. Everyone should come out and see you. Uh, this oh, is going to yeah. go up next Friday. So uh, okay. I'll, I'll put uh, the show notes. I'll put all your stuff in there. Yeah. I'm going to mix a, a song in on this. I'll put, I'll jump on your website and, and put any links you have for ticket shows cool. coming up and yeah. all that stuff. You guys are welcome back anytime when, when you're doing the, awesome, the tour man. yourself and you're bringing on the, the first bands. Don't forget about me. Come back Sick. on and give me an update on, on yeah, how the tacos bro. are going. Absolutely. Let me know the taco truck sure. is. All right. <laughs> yeah, I really appreciate it, man. We're not this is like one of the first times that we, you know, we went on a tour and then we met you saw the show up. They reached out to us. It's really cool to connect. Uh it's one of the first times we did that. I hope we're able to keep this relationship open. I would keep in touch with us for sure. I appreciate it, man. You're a friend of the show now. So anything you guys are putting oh, out, yeah, I'm gonna likewise, I'm gonna re-put out for you, man. So I really appreciate it. If you're dude. ever up in the Boston area, you got some guest list spots. All right, man. I'll hit you up. I appreciate it. I'll talk to you. Take care. Appreciate you, man. All right, everyone. That was our show. Don't forget to leave a review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you stream your podcast. Like and follow the podcast on Facebook and Instagram to stay up to date in all things wild and weird. Check out the links in the show notes for more information on our guests. The biggest support you can offer is to tell everyone about the podcast. Until next time. 